The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 115 of the Golden Mike Podcast. As always, I am the noise of the North, Dan of the Mano, recording from my state-of-the-art Chicagoland studios. The days are finally getting longer, and I couldn't be happier. Open up your ears, open up your minds, because it's time for your bi-monthly dose of audio sunshine. This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you in part by Masterline, makers of world record ski ropes, handles, gloves, travel bags, and other water ski gear. Masterline is the official rope of the Masters Water Ski and Wakeboard Tournament and pretty much any major water ski contest in general. Masterline has also provided ropes and support for every event that I've helped organize, including backyard buoys and corn, feed on fire, and Twin Lakes Corn Fest. Their rope is braided and pre-stretched. It's fully optimized for strength, longevity, and feel. And oh yeah, did I mention it's all made in the USA, actually right down the street from the Boathouse Studio outside of Orlando, Florida, to see their entire selection of pro-quality rope and ski gear, check out www.masterlineusa.com. All right, today we have a special, special, special guest on the podcast. I got to sit down with wakeboarding legend in 2005, Alliance Rider of the Year. That's right, folks, another roadie, Ben Greenwood. Many of you know Ben had a huge role in changing the landscape of the sport by being the first rider to win the Alliance Rider of the Year honor without any major competition victories under his belt. Ben was a style guy in the truest sense of the word, and he helped inspire and through his time coaching at the wakeboard camp, he helped mold a whole new generation of free riders. Ben is currently a publisher at the Bonnier Corporation, which is responsible for magazines that are near and dear to all of our hearts, publications like Boating, Wakeboarding, and Water Ski Magazine, not to mention my personal favorite, Working Mother, Oh yeah, Ben also works on a flying mag, which is really, really neat. Ben went from being one of the sport's most influential riders and coaches to having the ability to keep the future of the sport visible and relevant through digital assets like Waterski and WakeboardingMag.com. 
Today, we discuss everything from Ben's opinions on current riders, Orlando being the Hollywood of wakeboarding his early days, and his storied friendships with legends like Mark Kenny and Keith Lyman. But before we get into it, I want to take this opportunity to remind you all to please continue to spread the word about this, the Golden Mike podcast. There is no other podcast in the toad water sports industry that has continued to deliver high quality content for over five years straight. But we can only get bigger, we can only get better, and that is with your help. Here's all I need from you. Be sure to subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app and tell everyone you know to do the same. And after you listen to today's show, if you haven't already done so, please take a minute to rate this five stars on iTunes. At this very moment, we're up to 110 five-star ratings and 73 written reviews, but all it takes is a couple of kind words from you kind folks, and we'll be in the thousands in no time. At least help me get to 500 people. A five-star rating for the show is a five-star rating for Toad Water Sports in general, wakeboarding and water skiing. Your rating helps increase the visibility of this podcast and in turn, the visibility of the Toad Water Sports industry. So let's help grow the sport we all love together. You already know if you take the time to write the review, I'll take the time to read it right here on the podcast. Let me take your message and share it with the masses. Who knows, maybe your favorite rider might even hear it. Here's your chance to let Parks Bonifay or Darren Shapiro know how you really feel. And if that, my friends, isn't motivation enough, I'll even send the next two reviewers a free Golden Mike podcast beanie for your troubles. You'll be able to wear this thing everywhere. All you got to do is send me an email with a screenshot of your review to goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com and I promise your head will be the talk of the town. Speaking of this week, we have a brand spanking new five-star review from Midwest College Wake who writes, I'm a new listener and Dano is just as fun to listen to on my phone as he is at the events. I do a lot of CAD at work. And this is awesome to listen to and keep the stoke alive during the 9 to 5. Keep it coming, Dano and company. Well, I'm thrilled to hear it, Midwest College Wake. Whether you're sitting in an architecture firm or just in the car on your way to the beach, I'm happy to be in your ear, keeping you up to date with the latest wakeboarding news and bringing you the most candid interviews with renowned industry heads. Now, as a reminder, you can listen to and share the Golden Mike podcast with all of your friends. We're available on SoundCloud. We're also available on Google Podcasts and a wide array of podcast listening apps on Android devices. So, my friends, there is no excuse. Worst comes to worst. You go to noiseofthenorth.com on the World Wide Web, the Internet, and you listen right there. You can also follow the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Dano T. Mano and on Twitter at the Golden underscore. Mike to stay up to date with all the latest and greatest Golden Mike news. Our conversation with Ben Greenwood is on its way, but first a little bit of breaking news for you guys. For everyone in the Midwest complaining that there are no great places to ride, 
Looks like you're about to eat your words, my friends. That's right. Several Midwest cable parks, including Action Wake Park in Michigan, West Rock and the Quarry in Illinois and Wake Nation in Cincinnati have come together to develop a program to help grow the sport in the middle of the country. They have partnered with one another to launch the No Coast Cable Club card season pass, which will provide members with discounted rates and daily club perks. Now, I grew up shredding the waters of the Midwest and nothing would make me happier than to see the sport grow even more in this area. Hopefully, this new partnership will help showcase all the great cable parks we have around us. Now, I was just with Pat McGinnis yesterday from the Quarry Cable Park, and he told me he's just excited because now it's easier and more affordable than ever to really get out and explore what the Midwest Wake Park scene is all about. Pat and his crew are already planning multiple trips this summer, and I don't know, hopefully I'll be able to hop in on some of those. Something else that caught my eye this week was a video posted on the Lake Sports Facebook page. The great Eddie Roberts, of course, a past podcast guest, and his son, Little Eddie, were tearing it up at the mythical Radar Lake right after that snowstorm that Seattle had a couple of weeks ago. You can see Eddie transitioning from Radar Lake to Snowbank back into Radar with relative ease as his Ronix wakeboard was pulling double duty as a snowboard too. It was great seeing Eddie behind the wheel of the boat towing his son as they were sharing an awesome family moment. We all know what Eddie means to the sport and it was so cool seeing that the passion lives on and the pursuit of fun on the water is a never-ending journey even when the water is almost frozen. As far as signing announcements, I guess it is the season, and Roswell Marine had quite the week after announcing not one, but two signings. First was friend of the show and Irish wakeboarding superstar David O'Keefe. David is coming off an insane 2018 with a few major international contest podiums and wins. The success of his signature graphic, O'Brien Wakeboard. Uh, and of course, David's rising exposure on YouTube. And oh yeah, winner of Wakeboarding Magazine's 2018 Reader's Poll voted on by the fans. The second signing for Roswell announced last week was Super Grom, Hudson Haney. Hudson is currently six or seven years old and has been taken the nine and under scene at the WWA's biggest events by storm. He's the reigning world champ, and I'm positive that Roswell Marine sees big things in store for this little dude. I know I do. Hey, the future of Wake is in good hands, my friends. Hey, and speaking of Roswell Marine, they've just released their 2019 product catalog featuring a huge selection of top quality marine audio equipment, board racks, and Wake Towers. Roswell's motto is quality without compromise. And no matter what you're looking for, you can rest easy knowing Roswell products are built to perform reliably from the moment you unbox them. Head over to their website, see their full lineup of products and features. They have 35 preferred dealers located all throughout the United States and Canada. So be sure to use the dealer search function on their website to find the one closest to you. That website, of course, is www.roswellmarine.com. That's R-O-S-W-E-L-L, Marine. 
Com. All right, let's get to it. Benny G with me right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Where are we, Ben? Yeah, so we're at the uh, we're in Winter Park Village um, on the second floor of a really cool little um, shopping plaza kind of area. Um, so that's where the Bonnier offices are, and um, yeah, we're lucky to be a part of uh, a great company here. A lot of a lot of history uh, in this building right here. I mean, I I moved to Florida in two thousand and three, two thousand two, two thousand three, and even before that, some of my best friends and some of my heroes were telling me stories about coming up here and hanging out with the likes of Kevin Michael and Bill Doster and going through photos and looking at slides and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's changed a lot since then. Um, yeah, I remember it being a big deal the first time I was coming in to check out some photos and yeah you just felt like it was sort of the epicenter of like what was going on in the world of wakeboarding you know for sure of toad water sports in general because, yeah true well in water sports in general because there's more than just wakeboarding going on here at bonnier am i bonnier how do yeah uh, you could say bonnier uh if you kind of say it quickly it, you bonnier. Get a, well you get you get away with it you know it's, i don't know exactly how the family likes it pronounced but we always just say bonnier so what exactly is your title what do you do here so um I, my title is kind of um it's changed a bit but it's i'm still the publisher of the brands of wakeboarding and water ski um but i also took on sort of a national account manager for flying um so basically, I'm I'm a sales rep, but I also kind of run the brand uh, from a business side uh, for wakeboarding and water ski. Did you go to school before you got here? Like, like how do you become a publisher of a magazine? Because it to me, it it just seems like uh, a very a very studious thing. <laughs> yeah. So I did go to college uh, before I moved to Florida. So um, up in upstate New York, I went to Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, and graduated in 2000, and just had the wakeboard bug and was like, I just have to move to Florida. Um, yeah, I had a connection. Uh, my, my very close friend, Craig Kennedy, uh, up in New York gave me my first coaching job. It was like, Hey, come down to surf expo with me. You'll meet some people there. He happened to know somebody who knew PJ Marks. He got me set up with sort of like an audition in front of PJ. Uh, PJ told me I was hired on the spot actually, which is pretty funny, uh, when he saw me ride, but I the the camp was so busy back then. I had to wait like a full year before I really started working regularly there. So I did other things, worked at Disney, you know, bus tables and worked uh, installation and hotels. Sure, the the dream. Basically. Yeah, right. living the dream. So yeah. I want to get I want to get to the nitty gritty. I want to find out um, everything about you, where you grew up. Uh, the era of wakeboarding that that you kind of got into the sport, um, the scene where you grew up in, your scene, your crew, uh, the waterways, the places that you that you rode, uh, the events, the events that you rode in um, that that got you um, th- that got you amped on the sport, and then everything that kind of um, led into moving down to Florida. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, from the Northeast, uh, small town outside of Boston. Um, and my family had a little cottage up on a lake in New Hampshire. It was only like 15 minutes away. It was a different state, but it was a little cottage. Um, you know, we had a little John boat, you know, I learned to water ski when I was like four or five behind a little 
John boat with like a 25 horse engine on it. Um, you know, started carving around on a slalom ski. Then, uh, there was a guy on our lake that got one of the first scurfers. And what lake? Uh, this was uh, Lake Kentuckuk, um, in New Hampshire. So it was like, one of those lakes where if a guy like me, like looks at the name of it, I probably can't pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those up there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then there was this guy, they had a centurion, um, he would go by and, and do these like fashion airs over and over and over again. And I was trying to do what he was doing on my slalom ski. And I was like jumping the wake, doing grabs and all this stuff. I was like 11 years old. So for my 12th birthday, I got a Scurfer Blast. It's like the neon green one. I was so excited to go. So then you're starting it. to kind of date yourself oh, yeah. in your wakeboard history yeah. right now. Because yeah. I, I mean, Scurfer probably wasn't a brand very far into the 90s. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, because if I turned, I was born in 78, so I turned 12 in 1990. And so we only knew about it because of the ads in Water Ski Magazine. My dad was a subscriber to Water Ski. And uh, so I was all excited to go out and learn, you know, get up on my scurfer and do tricks and get big air and all this stuff. And I was, I, I couldn't get up on it. The first time we go out, I couldn't get up. I could get up on a single slalom ski, but I couldn't get up on the scurfer. And I was like totally gutted. I was like, I was so sad because I was so excited to do this and I, I couldn't get up. Um, and you, those things were so buoyant back in the day and I was so little that I just couldn't get enough weight on it to sink it down. And probably don't have anybody giving you any kind of instruction or no, anything like that. There was just that little booklet that came with it, pictures of Tony Finn doing stuff and it had some tips, but... Um, but it ended up, you know, I went out the next day, got up, and then just totally fell in love with it. Okay, so so um, talk about um, kind of the era that you that you grew up in with the wakeboard scene. Because if you're if you're on the scurfer, I mean, this is pretty much only a small handful of people are really doing anything other than what you're saying, fashion airs. Yeah. And, and fashion air wasn't even called a fashion air at the time. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I mean, Water Ski Mag ran a feature on. Uh, what was going on. I think they did a trip to Hawaii or something like that. And they, there was all these like really, really cool images of guys going upside down and just, I tore out every page, stuck them on my wall. Um, I got to do a clinic with the flying Hawaiian with Eric Perez. He came through um, and, and did a clinic and I was like totally blown away. Um, I ended up working at that Marina. Um, it was called Valley Marine. It was right on the border of New Hampshire and Massachusetts that was my first summer job. I was like 15 years old, sweeping floors, pumping gas, but they also sold wakeboards and ski boats and stuff. So I remember when the first issue of Wakeboarding Mag came out, it was 94, um, and I put it in my school, my, my book bag for school and read it every day in high school. You know, every, every chance I had, I would pull it out and just like look at the pictures. And it's funny because I actually just looked at it the other day and it wasn't that thick and it wasn't, you know, it was just... There's some really like kind of silly photos in there and stuff, but I was just so enamored. Like I just couldn't keep my eyes off of it. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Florida, the early days. Uh, I could only assume before you actually moved down to Florida, you probably took some trips down to Florida. Uh, yeah, actually just the one I, I came down for that surf expo. That would have been, um, yeah, that would have been September of 2000 and just came down with some buddies. We spent a day at the wakeboard camp got to ride in front of PJ and I bumped into Keith's sister, um, at 
the demo day on Lake Down. Um, and I was just like, hey, what's up? She's like, hey, we live right around the corner from here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of moving here. And she's like, yeah, well, we need a roommate. And Keith needs someone to ride with every day. And I was like, all right, done deal. So we ended up working out a couple details, not many. I packed up my truck uh, up in New York and drove down. And, and then uh, come to find out, Keith had decided... Oh, I think I had said something to him like, look, you know, I've had roommates through college, you know, I'm going to quote unquote, I'm, under, I'm an adult now. I don't want to have a roommate, share a room with somebody. So we got to figure out the living situation. But we never really talked about it, um, about how it was going to be. So when I got to the house for the first time, he's like, yeah, your room's right in here. And I'm like, I thought that was your room last time I was down. And he's like, oh yeah, no, I moved my stuff so you could have it. I was like, all right, right on. And I'm like, well, where are you? And he shows me the backyard and he had set up a tent and he was going to live in the backyard. And how long did that last for? Um, a year. If if you asked a, a certain type of person what they thought about Keith at a certain age, and they might not have all positive things to say. Right. Which, knowing him at any other point in his life or away from that scenario, you could never imagine anybody saying anything negative about him. Sure. He's the nicest, like, most badass dude of all time and like he's he's learned a lot too of like how to you know communicate with people but keith was literally when i first moved down to florida he was literally the the poster boy for let your riding do the talking yeah you know and that, and unfortunately i don't know if that was at a time where that was better for him or worse <laughs> for him you know yeah i mean there was it was definitely clicky you know that's the one of the first things I felt when I moved to Orlando was like, wow, there's definite, like, there's a hierarchy of, all right, these are the legends. These are the guys that like, you know, know all the cool bars to go to and go to all the cool parties. And, you know, it almost feels like high school all over again. Right. Um, and I think me being a little bit older, like having graduated from college already, kind of, I didn't care about all that stuff. Maybe I just centered you a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I had real jobs in the past and I had just, this to me was like, I just want to be a part of it and see what happens where so, Keith was like this, I am going to, he used to call himself a pro before he was a pro because he's like, I'm going to be pro. I'm like, right. right on. Um, how, how did you take, um, meeting some of the pros? Uh, yeah. Like every, it, it, it's the craziest thing. I mean, I would remember driving around and thinking that I saw a certain pro and I was probably right. Cause you just bump into everybody everywhere. But I just literally thought that it, I was like in the Hollywood of wakeboarding, you know, it's like, who knows, you'll drive by a lake and that looks like that could be Kobe Mikasich out there. You know, just, it was like just this really cool sort of fantasy world that I was now felt like I was plugged into. Um, I got a lot of my sort of introductions and chances to go ride with other people through Keith because Keith was already connected. He was already sponsored. He was already like doing photo shoots and things like that. So um, yeah, so we got to meet a couple people and like Leslie Kent would come out on the boat and I remember being like, oh my God, Leslie Kent's in our boat and Mark Kenny. So when you had said the thing about letting your riding do the talking, Mark was also somebody who did not play into the whole like, you know, be buddies with the right people and not say things that might piss people off. Like Mark was, he was just like the most raw, real dude. And that's why we all got along. Keith and, and Mark were, were pretty tight. Um, like when we would all travel because we weren't getting invited to the cool parties, the three of us would hang out and, um, you know, that we, you know, it's actually an interesting story. He, 
Mark put me up in his room um, at the Malibu Open in 2002. Um, I didn't have any money. Like I had enough money for one hotel room for one night. And the second night I was kind of like, oh, I kind of need to figure out someone that can crash on their floor. And Mark was like, stay with me. He's like, don't even worry about it. I won eight grand last weekend. I don't need any money from you. Don't worry about it. Um, and I had to ride through like quarter like qualifying and quarterfinals and all that stuff. And I think it was the second day he like looks at me. He's like, you and I are going to win this thing. And I'm like, you are, what are you kidding? Like, I'm not very good in contests. Like, you know, and we ended up coming first and second. It was my only podium ever. Crazy. And, uh, yeah, he, when, when I was up there, he like looked down at me and was like, see, told you. And I'm like, wow, man. And then, uh, sadly, shortly after that, he, he passed away. Yeah, I think it would be cool. And I've, I've talked to like, the likes of like Brad Schmalen and a couple of the other uh, Aussie boys about putting something together for, for Mark because another one of those guys who his his wakeboarding, uh, I, you know, obviously through the magazines, through watching stuff on television, um, you know, his, his wakeboarding was definitely ahead of its time. But unfortunately, I mean, he his time in wakeboarding in the crew um you know he there it there's it's like more myths than stories mm-hmm. you know yeah it, it adds to the sort of yeah the mysteriousness of it all like because you never really knew if what you were hearing was true like oh i heard this happened or i heard he already landed this and i mean you know you didn't have a phone in your pocket and film every trick that you could do it was like rare to have a video camera around so you were like that's oh, very very possible that he did land those tricks and and those yeah. tricks you're talking about, of course, is the 1080 because yeah. it's been argued for years that I don't think anybody's arguing the fact that Parks did it first, right? I think people are just arguing that. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's not that he beat Parks to it. It's that he had also landed a couple. That's what I mean. That's the sort of the rumor that I w- had always heard. Did you ever hear if anybody had it on tape or no. anything? I, no, I never heard. I mean, I, I I would just assume that by now it would have surfaced. Yeah. I mean, or whoever was there would have been like, you know, it, it would be easy enough to sort of make a statement now on social to be like, hey, just so to the wakeboard community. I've so thought if, about if that it, person's though, out there. I've thought about it, though, a lot. And like, I get I get it. But there's been so many exciting things that I've seen happen. And like you, you, you go back to that era and I remember one of the first contests I went to down here was the Taiga U.S. Open or something. And Tino Santori did a, a, a toe nine wake to wake. And I know people were doing it, but it was still so new. And, it, and since he was so young and so unknown, mm-hmm. it was it was so special. So, I mean, it could have been the toe nine and, you know, people in the boat. And, and still, even as the announcer, I mean, yeah, of course, if it's right on you, but most people especially back then it's probably hard to tell the difference between seven nine <laughs> ten i don't you know yeah. yeah i don't know i i just think it's one of those cool things that like it'll never happen again in terms of like is it true that they landed that or not because it's like there's it, no excuse anymore right and i mean to a fault everything is recorded and shared i mean if i see this is a this is a message to any of the young riders out there if i see another Oh, hey, I landed this trick again today. This is a sketchy version of it. Like, just don't post that one. Right. Just, you know, like, that's cool if you want to share the line that you did today. That's pretty cool. But I, I've seen a couple like, oh, here's a sketchy version of a trick that I land 
pretty clean most of the time. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. And maybe that's just, maybe it's cause I'm now 40 years old, but I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and I think you've always been pretty particular. And I think that a lot of that might even go back to, you know, we, when we're, we're talking about the wakeboard camp and, um, you know, I, I don't think there's probably anybody who could tell people more than you how important learning the basics really are, you know? Well, yeah. So that I, you know, when I mentioned this part about a lot of my connections and that stuff came from Keith, the other parallel side of that was the wakeboard camp. So the guys would invite me over to go ride and then do photo shoots and, and PJ got me involved with stuff very early on, which was very cool. Um, but Kyle Schmidt was like huge, hugely instrumental and all that. But yes, so to go back to the point about instruction and learning correctly, you know, I, when I came to Florida, I was, I had a bunch of like basic inverts and I couldn't really spin very well. I couldn't do a backside 180. But could and, you cut switch toe side? Uh, no. Probably no, not. No, not, not at the time. No, I, so like there was a lot of the, riders even nowadays. I'm wondering if they can cut switch toes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, the guys these days can do anything. I, I'm not surprised <laughs> if they can't cut switch toes very well, but could bust out a switch toe nine. You sure. Know? <laughs> but uh, you know, so I, I I really liked coaching, and I felt like I was pretty good at it because it, all coaching is is just communication and like connecting with somebody and getting through to them in a way that they can understand what you're saying because anybody can spit in a out a way that their dad just can't do at home. <laughs> yeah, very true. But like, you know, anybody can read, you know, Kyle Schmidt's instruction in the magazine and then spit it back out. In fact, Silas Thurman said he wanted to thank Kyle Schmidt for, uh, all the money he made coaching. Cause he was just like, yeah, I just watched the book and then just say what Kyle said and people would pay me for it. You know, which I think is a really funny thing, but, um, but like having coached hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years like it you can say all the right things meaning like you know the information is correct but if the person just isn't understanding and they're not you got to figure out a way to get through to them um and it's like kind of seeing what they see and feeling what they feel in order to do that because like i mean danny harv is a perfect example of somebody who's like oh a 720 yeah you just do a 360 and then you just kind of keep going and do another 360. It's like, Danny, things don't come as easy <laughs> for you. I'm just using his, him as an example. Sure. Like, you know, not to say that he's not a great coach. It's just that for a lot of people, you know, it's, you know, you really got to like break it down to, you know, basics. Well, but you, then also and, like and you think about it, like even going back to what you were saying about Keith Kip earlier, you landed that Pete Rose right there. A lot of times just having the pros in the boat is like oh, yeah. awesome. And it gives you that extra bit of oomph that you might need to get around. But the Absolutely. reality is when it comes down to it, um, it, everything needs to be broken down to the basics. I think every trick. And if you, if you know the basics from the, from the get go, and I think you guys always did, a, a phenomenal job, you know, of, of getting that across and, and the team that you guys had out there. Oh, I mean, the, just the camp, the wakeboard camp legendary. Yeah. At uh, the wakeboard camp, and, you know, I was working a performance for so many years and you'd be bussing the kids in every Thursday or when I forget which yeah, day, Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, yeah. you'd bus them in, you'd stop at performance, you'd go to O-Dub mm. and then you'd bring them back for a second shot at the, <laughs> uh, at the shop over there. But I remember the likes of Amber wing, uh, you already mentioned Kyle Schmidt. Um, 
Aaron Reed, yep. Freedom. Oh, I mean, yeah. just just unbelievable. What was it like to to work with with some of these guys? PJ Marks, of course, who yeah. who has been on the podcast, and just what a like what a character he is <laughs> in his mid to late forties or early fifties today. What was he like? 20 years ago when you started working with it. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. So, um, there was, it was, there was a definitely in my eyes, there was a heyday at one point. There was like, I mean, every coach there was like a little kind of superstar within the sport because the camp was so important, you know, like for me seeing Glenn Fletcher and, and, um, Patrick Hagan and Kyle Schmidt and then, you know, meeting these Kiwi guys that were there, I'm just like, these guys are, are rock stars, you know, because I'd seen them in, in um, you know, in the ads in the magazine and just being like, you guys get to ride every day, oh my gosh. And then, uh, you know, and then I became fast friends with Kurt Robertson and Aaron. Well, actually, Aaron, that's a funny story. So Aaron and I were not friends right away. Aaron Reed. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, he loves it when I tell this story, but I'd gone out to Claremont a couple times to ride. Glenn Fletcher would ask me to, to come out there and ride, which was super cool. And he like never really, I was like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, Hey, I'm Aaron. Hey, I'm Ben. Next time I go out, he's like, Hey man, what's up? I'm Aaron. Cause he's always friendly, but he just kept forgetting me. And I was like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm Ben. Another time, another time. Was he Aaron Reed, the wake skater at this point? He was, he had started to make the transition to wake skating. He was, he was a really good wakeboarder. Um, and, so then finally, I think he saw me ride one time or something. I think I, I landed something like right out in front of the camp and he asked somebody like, Hey, who is that? And they're like, that's Ben. He's like kind of trying to work here and all this stuff. And then he finally remembered me after that. But there was like, I think there was one time like in the middle of all that where he was like, Hey, what's up, man? I'm Aaron. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how many times I have to introduce myself to you. And I kind of like snapped at him. And, uh, it's just really funny that you know, he's one of my closest friends on the planet. We lived together for like five or six years. Um, you know, he's in my wedding, like that kind of, you know, it's just funny that it started that way. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it seemed like you went from being this dude who is delivering students to the shop from the wakeboard camp to one of the most famous wakeboarders in the world. <laughs> yeah. No, I, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't, I wouldn't, say that but uh, and respected it, oh well thank you that that was always important to me too <laughs> i um i used to, i used to joke that um i was the <laughs> i had like the wake world forum calling me underrated and i was the most underrated rider in the sport and then like a year later people were like bagging on my riding being like oh yeah learn something new to like all of a sudden now i'm overrated and i'm like wait what happened <laughs> i thought i had you guys on my side and most of them always were on my side and I actually uh, the wake world forum people from long ago thank you so much for always having my back but um it uh the rider of the year thing was like a shock to me um again I think the uh, association with Aaron Reed and have he was he was rider of the year two years before me and he used to joke actually he'd like jump on my back and make me walk up the stairs with him and be like we're training for rider of the year 05 and just jokingly would say stuff like that but I, I got a lot of really cool opportunities liquid force was using me a lot more i started to do more team trips with them and it sort of sort of started like you know pick up a little momentum on the sponsorship side so then i wasn't 
working at the camp as much. I was more traveling. I was always associated with Wake Forest camp, even the Quicksilver days and, and all that stuff. I, you know, I wouldn't work there, but I would come by and have lunch and go take a set and hang out. All the coaches were all my friends anyway. So, you know, it was just an awesome You're place like an to alumni. be. You're like an alumni. Yeah. And it was a super fun place to be. You know, I keep my boat there too at times. Um, well, and you got to admit, there's like one of the things that I miss so much about being at performing ski and surf. And I've been doing a couple of boat shows with my girlfriend. We've been uh, promoting our event Cornfest. And there's something about that influx of, of real like boaters or lake people or water sports enthusiasts, you know, it's be, just being there, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, that's the crazy thing. There's times where I go like a month or two months where I'm not around anybody, you know, in the industry. It's just like, what, what the heck am I even doing? Now? <laughs> you know, it's like you're working, you're doing stuff that, you know, like I'm, I'm working on building this event or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, I haven't been on the lake. I haven't seen the lake. I haven't talked to anybody about being on the lake, you know, and that's, and I, I can just imagine going back to the camp and being there and the respect from from everybody and oh and you know it was great Aaron Aaron's career and my career kind of came up together so you know the two of us we'd come through and do like a lunchtime set or whatever but you know the students were all your friends too like you, these people would come back every year and and you'd be like excited to see certain people and go have a beer with them after or whatever but I mean Aaron and I used to joke too that it was like of course, it was like a big ego play, like, oh, Ben and Aaron are coming to ride, and the students would pack the boat full, and you go do your tricks, and then, like, peace out, everybody, and kind of leave, and you kind of, you know, played into that little bit of, like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to go hang out with Nacrassen later, or so, you know, just silly stuff like that. All right, all right, we will be right back with more from Ben Greenwood in just a second, but right now, I am overcome with the sudden urge to tell you guys about Lead Wake. Long-time listeners already know that Lead Wake is responsible for creating the best ballast bags in the entire industry. Go to any wake competition or event across the globe, and I guarantee you'll see the original and number one easily movable, moldable, and indestructible lead wake ballast. These bags help clean up any wake and can be stacked in even the tightest spaces. They're nine times denser than water, so just a few bags can replace those tedious, space-consuming water bags. Oh, and the best part, Lead Wake offers free shipping from anywhere inside the continental United States of America. And when you buy nine bags, you'll get the tenth bag free. And take from me, folks, there ain't nothing better than free. Learn more right now at LeadWake.com. Dot com. So kind of back on to the, the rider of the year, you know, since you took, um, you know, your rider of the year, there have been so many. But um, w- one of the things that kind of obviously you and I have been talking about having you on the podcast for so long. But on the last episode, I actually had Gunther Oka, uh, who is just a named Alliance rider of the year. Well deserved. Yeah, fully well deserved. I have a couple of questions, though. Do you think that maybe that award was um a year late for gunther and just in in just in general um your thoughts on gunther and and what he's doing and where he's taking the sport yeah what those guys do with the rider of the year award i think is interesting i think they have designed it so that it is kind of hard to predict um i mean so many years have gone by now that you know by no means do i think that it's not as much of an honor as it once was 
because that that is not the case. It's just that in those first few years, it had such an impact because it was there was nothing else like it, you know. And and that for sure changed. I would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for winning that award. It gave riders, more riders, an opportunity because, uh, you know, especially like you said, when Aaron won it, when you won it, it made that award achievable. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was in a year that it seemed super obvious that Danny Harf should have won. I got it. You know, and it was kind of like, I was blown away. I, I questioned it, the validity of it myself, you know, cause I was like, wait, really? I was never somebody that thought I deserved anything more than I was getting. In fact, I was throughout my career, I've sort of been like surprised at some of the things that have happened. Like when Aaron Grace called and tripled my salary one year before I even asked for it, you know, things like that kind of were happening and it was really cool. I mean, every kind of step along that way, I was just super appreciative and, and thought it was really fun. Um, looking back on it now, I truly see how fortunate I was, um, which, you know, I can get into that later, but, um, getting that award and, and knowing that the industry was kind of like up in arms about it and that McCaffrey was like getting phone calls from particular people questioning it. And, you know, I, I got a couple comments from a couple outspoken people that were sort of like telling me it was a gift and it was like because of Quicksilver and this and that. But um, one of the coolest things that I think ever happened at that stage of my riding was that Paul O'Brien, who is uh, an amazing person in this industry, and I have, have always had nothing but the utmost respect for him and, and what is you know he and his dad built. But I caught wind of the fact that Paul was like bummed on the fact that I won. And um, the, the coolest thing that's ever happened was that Paul then called McCaffrey years later and said, I get it now. I, I understand. I, I completely support it and 100% agree. And I was like, when I heard that, and I was, I rode for his competition at the time, you know? Um, and, and now he's a client of mine and, and I, you know, we get to have like real conversations, which is really, really cool. But the fact that, you know, I, it, I don't know, I think that that award kind of like, it had that sort of like industry sway at the time. It was like, whoa, what? Like this guy really? I was doing a little pre-research before this interview and I was able to find some contest results dating back to about 2002 from mm -hmm. you, but there's not really <laughs> much after that as far as contests. So how, how did you pull yourself out of that contest scene? And when you stopped writing contests, do you already have a vision for what you were going to do? Uh, to stay relevant was being relevant even important to you at the time or, or was is, is your story just the most organic uh, <laughs> wakeboarding super story of all time <laughs> no I mean there was there was some intention in some of the sort of paths I chose and, and things I did so like in the beginning I you know saved up whatever money I could to send myself on tour to get my riding out in front of people I mean that was of course, I wanted to do well. I wanted to, you know, get on the path to be on the podium and all that stuff. I I had a three-week stretch where I made the finals in Detroit. I got second at the Malibu Open. And there was another event that I did really well in. And it was, I was like, 
I look back on it like I was riding out of my mind. Like I, I just couldn't fall. It was awesome. Um, and then I could never recreate that. And I would have easy heats that I wouldn't make it through. And I was it's like, I guess the, the competition side of wakeboarding wasn't really how I always saw myself. I mean, of course, yeah, we always dream of being Darren Shapiro and, you know, signing these huge endorsement deals and standing on top of the podium and all that. But like, to me, like watching a video section and, you know, getting to ride on Lake Whippoorwill with Sean Murray when he's doing like, you know, unique tricks that he would never do in a contest run. But like, that's what I, that's where I saw myself really, you know, and, and for those that don't feel that way, that see themselves as like driven, I want to be on the podium, I want to dominate, that's totally fine. But that was just, was never really my vision of- Did you did you foresee yourself being able to sustain a career without competing or? No, uh, not, in, not at first, no. I So the not competing thing w- was, there was two reasons for that. So one was that I wasn't very good at it and it was expensive for me to go and get knocked out in the first round. So that was, it was tough to continue to justify. But the other reason was I did a trip to Singapore for liquid force. Kyle Schmidt and I were over there. It was awesome. We come back and the first pro tour stop was like the next day or something. And it was back in the day when there was like 80 guys going for 40 spots and then they were only going to take 40 on tour. So it was like, you had to show up for this qualifier and make top 40 or else you couldn't compete all year. Um, I was super jet lagged because I was totally flip flopped on on the times, and I had Keith call me to tell me when, like, what heat I was going to be in because I didn't release the heats until that morning. And I'm like, I don't know, I, I can't get there at 7 a.m. and if I'm not riding until three, like, what am I going to do? Drive back to Claremont, go to sleep, like, you know. So Keith calls me and he's like, dude, get here now. You're up in like, you know, a heat and a half. So Claremont to OWC is like, you know, 35 minutes on a good day. I threw everything in my truck. I raced down there. I was literally running to the start dock. And the person who was before me, I watched them hop off the dock. So I missed my spot. Um, and Bish, you know, God bless him. Love the guy. But he was sticking to the rules. And he's like, sorry, dude. And I'm like. Probably made you feel like a real jerk too, <laughs> softly. <laughs> no, no. He was, no. I mean, I probably, I, I was, I was pretty bummed because I was like, man, this is my chance to like, I, I, I hadn't won rider of the year yet. I, so it was like, I'm like still trying to build my value, you know, still trying to like, okay, how am I going to continue to grow what I, you know, what I've been building and being competitive on tour was a, a part of that. So I thought, but, um, yeah, the, you know, even the guys in my heat, like Colin Harrington was in my heat and he was like, dude, just let him ride. He hasn't seen anybody ride. He hasn't, he has no advantage here to like say, oh, well, I knew the two, first two guys fell, so I'm going to ride easy because, you know, the order matters. But since I hadn't seen anybody ride, like what was really the real difference? And Bish was like, nope, sorry. And I remember challenging him on it and going, I know that you've let people ride out of order, like when Parks wasn't there or something like that. He's like, nope, never, nope. And I was like calling him out and it wasn't very pretty. And Bish, I, I feel bad about that, <laughs> so I'm sorry. But um but I, I didn't qualify for the tour that year because I was DQ'd because I missed my run. So it made it pretty easy for me to, to then take the opposite stance of, okay, well now I am a non-contest You're guy. You're the anti-contest guy. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, the, the Alliance crew had my back and that definitely, I couldn't have done it without them. And then 
you know, then the ride of the year stuff happened. And then, you know, I, I, Quicksilver had actually happened just before that anyway. So that was, that to me was like, I had reached the pinnacle. Like I, I worked for Quicksilver and that was gonna be my exit strategy from the riding side of things. Because you weren't just a rider for Quicksilver too, right? You were kind of like team coordinator at the time. Yep. Team manager, marketing consultant, team rider kind of thing. That was kind of my job title. And I was like, this is my, this is my chance. I'm going to try to parlay this into, you know, working in marketing for Quicksilver. Then as my riding tails off, you know, maybe run the wakeboard program. And that was sort of my, you know, vision there. And that was the first sponsor to go. And so that one hurt really, really bad. Having that core foundation, being that anti-contest rider at this point, and you're endorsed by like, the new school wakeboard magazine of sorts. Now you're here working for the competitor, arguably the the more corporately run side of, of our industry or whatever. What changed? When did your priorities change? Why did they change? How did they change? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I a lot of the a lot of the big changes in my life were sort of not really by choice. You know, I. I maybe would have had a choice to stick around longer or try a different path and that may have worked. But for me, the big turning points were, you know, losing Quicksilver when they were going through some real challenges. Um, and then the downturn hit, you know, so I was getting kind of cut back on all my other sponsors and I sort of looking at the end of the road going, all right, well, this is coming a little bit quicker than I had hoped. Um, and, you know, go on the route of coaching, was an option for me. Um, part of it was me going, you know, I don't know if I want to be in the boat all day f forever. You know, I love being in the boat. I miss it right now, but like I sort of maybe thought that I saw a different path as well, but I didn't know what it was. And then Sean Perry called me on like a Tuesday midday. I probably had just finished golfing, you know, cause what else was I doing? And, uh, he was like, Hey man, what, what's up? What are you doing? What's your next five years look like? I'm like, dude, honestly, I'm in that part right now where I, I don't know. And he's like, well, I'm getting promoted and we need to backfill my role. And I went to go write out a list of people that I thought would be good for it. And I wrote down your name and I couldn't think of anybody else. So I really hope you take it. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, man, there's not like, it was a, it was a pay cut for me, honestly, at the time from where my sponsors were versus that. But I knew, I always kind of pictured it like it was, there were like these paths crossing. crossing, And if I didn't jump off the train at that point, I might not get the chance to jump back on. So I, you know, took it, even though, like I said, even though it was a pay cut for that year, I kind of knew that it was just a different path. And I mean, what about the relationship with Alliance before? Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I was I was actually writing a column for them. I you know I was a monthly columnist for two years, I think. So that relationship was still great. Um, but yeah, well, actually, so just to back up one step, another huge turning point was I met my now wife just before that. So like probably, I don't know, uh, I met her at the end of 2010. I started working here in May of 2012. So you know, she is a a career woman that I can't believe she stuck around with me for so long in the beginning because she'd be going off to work every day and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to play golf. I might go out on the boat. Yeah, 
yeah, and then I'll, I'll come meet you after work, you know, and she'd just be like, okay, what is this life that you live in? Um, you know, so I, you know, it had Perry not thought of me and, you know, I, it, so to me, I was just like, okay, that's a path. I remember calling Kevin Michael to say, hey, buddy, like, I know, you know, you used to work there. I mean, Kev was like, Kev was actually the reason why I started to get coverage again in wakeboarding magazine. So there was this rift, like I was an Alliance guy. Right. So wakeboarding wouldn't run photos of me. Hickman even told me that one time. And I was like, oh man. Then Kev came along and was like, no man, I wanted he, and I was on the cover twice. It's funny because you're not like a, you're not like a, a drama guy or anything like, no. you know, it's. <laughs> Yeah. It, so to be stuck in the middle of, and you're just trying to do the right thing, you know, that's. I was just trying to get coverage to keep the sponsor money coming and, and keep the dream alive. Right. But, um, yeah, so, so Perry called, I interviewed, we worked out some details. I accepted the job and the first person I called was, I believe the first person I called was McCaffrey. And I said, Hey man. I wouldn't even be making this phone call if it wasn't for you, but I wanted to thank you for basically giving me the opportunity to then take a job was with a your competitor. Was it a difficult call? No, no, not at all, because Bill was super cool about it. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like had he wanted me to work for him full time, he could have asked me, you know, or whatever, but like it, uh, I also called Garrett because um, we're close friends and and then I called Supra to tell them that they could take their boat back, <laughs> which was like really interesting to be like, Hey, you know, I'm no longer, I'm basically quitting my sponsorship. Um, but I just sort of had to, because of, you know, you don't want to be sponsored by a, a company that you're writing about or in the mag. But so I got hired on the content side and then, and then it's just been an awesome coming up on seven years here where I've moved into the sales side and moved into other opportunities. And, you know, the priority is obviously changed then or they started to change then and then as my relationship with my wife had developed and now we have two young boys I laugh at what a salad I am now because it's just it's funny to me like I if someone were to call me a salad I'd be like oh cool thank you that's actually a compliment because it means I helping to provide for my family and that kind of thing you know it doesn't mean I don't I don't love the sport as much as I once did I just can't impact it the way that I once could would you tell some of these young core kids to change their path or would, or stay on the same path? A good example would be maybe, um, a lot of wake skating. Yeah. I mean, that wake skating, that's a good example of, you know, painting yourself into a corner of like this exclusivity. And like, if it's not done this way, it's lame. And just, I mean, water skiing was, slalom skiing was like one of the best examples of that. Like if you're not on a private lake with perfect glassy water with, you know, your tolerance is down to 0. 0.100, whatever, then that's not slalom skiing. It's like, you know what? <laughs> like we should, it. that's that's how to kill a sport. Right. Right. So I, I felt like wakeboarding was trying to take a page from that in that like, okay, just anybody can wakeboard. It's open arms. It's, it's, you know, for everybody. And then... You know, I know a lot of people feel this way. I don't, I'm still sort of in the middle on how I feel about this, but I don't blame the boat companies for making their product so expensive that the most people can't afford it. I don't think there's anything wrong with making expensive boats. There are other options out there that are perfectly 
they're better than anything I ever wrote on right. that are affordable. But for people to say, oh, well, it it's too expensive now. It it was expensive back in the day too. It, it's comparatively. Yeah. It it's like you don't have to have a two hundred thousand dollar boat. It'd be nice, but that's not like to enjoy the lake and towed water sports, you can do plenty with something a lot less. It's like, do you like driving a car? Yes. Would it be nice to have a Ferrari? Totally. But if you have something that gets you from A to B, isn't like you don't have to spend that. You're still driving a car, you know? So like, I think I don't like the I argument. I hear the of, arguments from other, you know, I understand where other people are coming from, but I'm I'm fully with you on that same page. I don't necessarily think I will ever be able to afford the top of the, I'm doing quotes here, the quote unquote top of the line ski boat, but um, I, I challenge anybody to go out and have as much fun as I do behind any of my friends' pontoon boats yeah. <laughs> that I go foiling on. Yeah. I know I was pretty, I came across as opinionated, um, in terms of like this type of riding is whack, this type of riding is cool or whatever, you know, I, I may have even played into that a little bit just because it was sort of my image. Like I was, I think I was probably, I hope was always known as a nice enough guy, but I also hope that I was known to have some conviction at, at least in terms of, yeah, but I don't, I don't, purpose, it never, to me, it never came across as if you were judging anybody else. Um, on their riding, it was more or less you had a standard for your riding, for your photos, yeah. and for your videos. Good. You know, well, and that's nice to hear because that's kind of what <laughs> I hope for. <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 again, like I do it with this podcast. You know, I, there's a there's a certain level that I that I want. There's a certain way that I want this thing done, and if it's not exactly how I want it done, I'm going to take an extra day to get it out or finish it yeah. or go back and redo it the way I want it done. You know that it. It's, it totally leads me to think about all the early days with Kilgus. So Sean Kilgus was another, I know I keep saying that like, you know, Aaron Reed, Kyle Schmidt, Keith Lyman, Craig Kennedy, like these people, PJ Marks, like were super important in all of my, my whole career, like McCaffrey, Kevco, Tony Smith, but like Kilgus, he was the one that start putting me in, started putting me in videos first and really like put thrust me into the limelight like the fact that i was in the same video as sean watson like blew my mind for years i couldn't believe it that that was like butter effect or something right? um that's, my or, side actually so even before that's before butter effect before butter effect yeah so it was like 2004 or something I um think. yeah it would have been yeah 2003 2004 i think um and that to me like starting to film with kilgus and you know obviously we can became great friends after that or throughout that process. You know, we helped each other out a lot. I think he might've even mentioned that he slept on a board bag on the basement in a, on the tile floor of an apartment that I could barely afford for myself. But, um, yeah, we just had a really cool, like, it was sort of like, we used to joke, like, see you at the top, buddy. Like, all right, you know, whatever. And, and, um, he, his videos are how one of the reasons that Alliance said they noticed me was from my section i think in i think in butter effect um so yeah and then things started to change where i oh because i had blown my knee out i was supposed to be a part of liquid forces new video like relentless and that was going to be my big like 
like, oh my gosh, I'm going to film for yeah, this Justin video. Justin had all the new technology yeah. filming. Oh my God. And then just to even meet Justin Stevens to me, was like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, so I blew my knee out and I just signed a deal with Liquid Forest and I asked Don Wallace, like, you know, I'm sure this is going to affect my salary or whatever. And he's like, no, nah, man. He's like, if, if we fired everybody that blew their knee out, we wouldn't have a team. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. So they stuck it out with me. And that was actually when I was like 24 or 25 is when I signed my first pro contract, which is, you know, kind of looking back on it now, it's kind of funny because most guys at like 25 are like, all right, I'm going to look for a way out of here. Right. Totally. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, so, so Sean, to get back to your question, Killigus and I, at, at first I just thought it was so cool that I was in a video. So I was just like, oh my God, to see the section get edited to music and then think that people are watching it or meet somebody on the road that's like, oh, I watched your section. I love it. You know, that was like, I felt like I had won a contest, you know, I felt like I was standing on top of the podium. And then as time went on, I learned more about what I wanted out of my riding. And then I used to, and then Kilgus and I would actually get in arguments over what shot was going in my section or not. And he'd be like, oh yeah, look at the way I frame this up. It's so perfect. And I'm like, oh, look at where my hand is or like it you know, it looks all clunky. I didn't do what I wanted to do. And he's like, yeah, but no one's going to notice that. I'm like, I am. <laughs> and then I would argue with him like, well, no one's going to notice your perfect pan shot. That's like whatever, you know, we used to like get into it a little bit. I'll, uh, I'll get into it too. You might be the only one who notices it, but yeah. And it's funny because I'm not really a perfectionist in other parts of my life. Like I, I'm pretty low key with like, you know, how I, handle most of my day, I guess, you know, I'm pretty flexible with like go with the flow kind of thing. And in fact, I pride myself on sort of handling rough situations and like kind of navigating through life like that. But my riding, there was nothing more in my life that like, that I cared about to, to do it the way that I wanted to uh, as wakeboarding, especially once it became my career. Um, which is an interesting shift. I know a lot of people feel this way, but you take your passion and you make it your job. It all of a sudden becomes like this different, uh, different beast, you know, ask Amber wing, Haley Smith uh, of how many times they could hear me yelling at myself from across the lake. Cause I couldn't land a trick that I was trying. And, and there was a time where I think I was just kind of, I, you know, I cared so much about my riding. I wanted to continue to progress when I, maybe I felt like that might be slipping away and I wasn't progressing like I used to, I maybe didn't handle it very well. And it would just, I, I would go out and ride and I would, it would like ruin my day and I'd be so mad and like, you know, and I'm like looking back on, I'm like, I got paid to go out on the hot sunny day in Florida to go play around. And I was like mad about it, you know? And I think, I think a lot of riders probably go through that at some point. Um, you know, when you're, yeah, your so what kind of advice would you give yourself? Go slalom ski? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think, you know what I did really late in my career was I went out and learned all these basic things that I never did just to like get that feeling again. So I was like switch toe side uh, back rolls and like switch toe side rolled reverts and things like that. Like doing a straight switch toe side back roll without going 180 was is kind of hard. Um, so like I, you know, spent a week and went out and like learned all these like little silly things behind a small week and it was super fun. And I'm like, why wasn't I doing this before? You know, I was like kind of getting wrapped up in like the, all right, well, I'm known as this style guy and I'm known for this. I, I got to play into this and like, 
get these photos and get this trick for this video section because that's how people are I'm going to be represented represented to people and the one guy that said that I hadn't learned anything new in the last video section like stuck in my head because I was like did he not notice I did a switchback five and a I did a stale fish backside five instead of an indie poke like he didn't even notice that you know and I'm like why do I care about what one person said right. but it's just I and the reality yeah. is if you would have just been able to talk face-to-face with that one human being who wrote that one thing, he, he'd probably be like, oh, no, I just didn't realize that you didn't do those two things. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And he probably didn't even know that he was messing with your week right, you know, right, right. when he wrote that. The wake season is almost upon us, and the Golden Mike Podcast wants to remind all of our listeners to please wake responsibly. Every time you're on the water, please remember you're not alone. Be mindful of other boaters and, most importantly, homeowners. Practicing and educating others to minimize repetitive passes. Keep music at reasonable levels and stay a safe 200 feet away from shorelines and docks helps to ensure you're doing your part. Head over to wakeresponsibly.com to take the pledge today and while you're there be sure to also take the wake responsibly compliance exam and press all your friends with your perfect score remember you're responsible for your own wake presented by sea deck marine products it's the golden mike podcast with the noise of the north dano the mano Wasn't that awesome? What's that? You guys want to hear more? Well, ask and you shall receive. I'm happy to say that Ben and I had such an in-depth conversation. We decided to bring it to you in two parts so you didn't miss a thing. Be on the lookout for the sequel coming to a Golden Mike podcast near you in two weeks, that is. I know we briefly talked about the various magazines Ben is responsible for publishing. Well, one of the most prominent ones, Boating Mag, recently published an entire feature article on their website titled Twin Lakes Cornfest, a water ski event like no other. You guys got to check it out. It's full of some really, really fun pictures of top regional water sports rippers, up-and-comers, and a full write-up about one of the industry's newest and most talked-about water ski events in years. And as a reminder, Twin Lakes Corn Fest is going to be August 16th and 17th in Lance Park in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. There's going to be corn, music, water skiing, wakeboarding, entertainment, and even more corn. It's never too early to start making summer plans, and I hope to see you all there. As for where you can see me uh, next, I'm off to Steamboat Springs, Colorado this week for the WSIA Summit in the Snow. I can't wait to be back out there on the mountain and, of course, presenting the Larry Medoc Award to this year's deserving winner. Then directly after that, I'll be hopping on a plane to Badger State for the Wisconsin Think Tank Show Ski Convention on Saturday and Sunday, March 2nd and 3rd. I'll, of course, be there promoting Twin Lakes Corn Fest with the Corn Crew. Plus, I'll be recording a live episode of the Golden Mike Podcast on site Saturday afternoon with special guest Tony Clarich, who's got some big news to share with us. I'll also be talking to the Wisconsin Water Ski Federation president, Chris Copeland, and the co-show directors of Show Skiing's multiple-time 
world champion Team USA, Matt Heilman and Dave Raisin. Then that Sunday, the King of Pop, my good pal Jared Meyer and I will be conducting a live think tank on trick skiing and wake sports in general titled, Do You Want to Be Awesome? So if any of you guys are going to be out there, I hope you can come check it out. The wake and ski season is fast approaching, and I will have all of my dates ready to announce like really, really soon. Uh, We've got a lot of fun things in the pipeline, so please keep your ears peeled for that, my friends. Thank you all for listening and an enormous thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. Thank you to SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, WSIA, Roswell Marine, O'Brien, Ledwake, Conley, Ronix, Hyperlight, and GoPuck. Behind the scenes, a special thanks to Jenna Carruth on the web, Jane Levy, and Arthur S. in the office, and Richie Rich Walsh on the ones and twos. I also wanted to give a big ups to my main man and Illinois rip rider, Timmy Bernier from Wakestone Wakeboarding. Timmy offers wakeboarding lessons pretty much anywhere near the Illinois and Wisconsin border. He'll be happy to bring his Centurion boat to you and your lake. He's worked with us in the past running wakeboard and surf demos at Twin Lakes Corn Fest. He was just nominated for a WSIA Leadership Award for Best Wake School, and you know we're all rooting for him. It's good to see the Midwest getting the recognition it deserves these days. Good luck, Timmy. Hey, that's it. That's all for me, folks. Don't forget, next time you're at the lake, every time you're at the lake, to wake responsibly, take the Wake Responsibly Compliance Exam, and pledge at wakeresponsibly.com. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. As always, I am the Noise of the North. I'm Daniel Lomano, and you can hear me next time, once again, right here on the Gold. Golden Mike Podcast.